I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to BSH Radio Presents the Ice Sports Show. That's right. I've named the show. I'm done. I'm done calling it the uh, yet the still untitled all NHL show. Uh, I'm just going to go with the Ice Sports Show and uh, see how long we can go with that. Steph's not with us this week, so uh, it won't be all that hard to just push stuff through without a. without the interference of Mama Driver. Uh, so I was going to say, that's why Bill gets to make broad, sweeping <laughs> decisions, because Steph isn't here to rein us in. Uh, so Look out, everyone. This is our exclusive Patreon show just for our subscribers. Uh, it's it's We cover... We have so much to talk about every week on BSH Radio. We never get to the rest of the league, so we thought, why not just do a rest of the league show? And that's what we're doing right now. Uh, I want to get right into this. First, let me introduce you to the panel for the evening. The fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. Hey, folks. How we doing? That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I am reporting live from Rochester. I'm at the Nerd Conference, so I'm doing this from a red roof in, in, like, I don't think it's actually technically in Rochester. I think it's in Henrietta, New York, but it's right near Rochester. So long distance recording from Charlie here. What a time to be alive! Exactly. What's the uh, what's the party scene out there like, Charlie? Uh, well, there was a speedway that sold beer, so I bought a six pack. Outstanding! <laughs> I gotta say, I'm real happy my uh, my shirt from the Athletic Philly came in today, Chuck. But uh, I realized, like, I'm walking into Target today, and I realized, ah, shit! I'm really just a fat guy wearing a shirt that says Athletic. <laughs> <laughs> so this is no uh, negative self-talk thank so, you so oh no it's part of it's part of my bit though like i'm oh, okay. if i no one wants to laugh at like a physically fit guy like, I'd, be, I'd be so much less funny if i wasn't a little heavy set so bill, I, but now that i have now that i have the mustache i can just say everything's ironic yeah bill i really <laughs> i appreciate the dedication to the brand i mean every every, every piece of fast food you eat it's just all dedication to the bill matt's brand i love it it really is it really that's it's it's how I pay the bills around here. Speaking of paying the bills, gang, before we get started, I have some uh, well, some exclusive news just for our Patreon subscribers. We're going to start pumping this out on Monday, but as of right now, you can go to draft.com and use promo code BSHRADIO. I don't know if it's case sensitive or not, but it's supposed to be capital BSHR and then ADO. Uh... <laughs> That's your promo code. Sign up. It's a daily fantasy website. Uh, they haven't even sent us the uh, the reads for podcasts or anything yet. So I'm just making this up on the spot. I signed up today. Uh, it, it helps us out if you go and, uh, and support our sponsors, and I want to get it out there for you. You can start playing these weekend games. Again, we're not going to start promoting it until Monday, but I wanted to get this out here just for our subscribers so you can play through this weekend. It's uh, draft.com. Use promo code BSH Radio. They have a uh, daily fantasy football, hockey. Uh, I think you can do playoff baseball. There's golf, all sorts of fun stuff. So check that out. And now I want to get to uh, our first topic of the night, gang. Uh, during my uh, my extensive post game show last week, uh, did a seventy minute Facebook live for the uh, for the old Broad Street Hockey Facebook last week, and I got asked a question: Who would you rather have, Connor McDavid or the trio of Matthews, Line A, and Eichel? Uh, most people, uh, while we were doing the show, said they wanted the trio, so I put the poll up on our Patreon site just for just for you fine subscribers. We got 51 votes for Matthews, Line A, and Eichel. We got eight votes for McJesus himself. Uh, is that where you guys are leaning here? I have to be honest. I'm. I I would take the trio, um, but I'm a little surprised there were only eight votes for McDavid because he. I don't know if anyone else saw the uh, the clip that was posted on Twitter 
of him just absolutely dunking on Duncan Keith in a way that was just didn't make any sense to me in like a physical three-dimensional space. But um yeah, I I would have expected more people to say McDavid, I think. Yeah, the the more I thought about it cuz my initial reaction was it's the trio, like no questions asked. But the more that I kind of considered it and the more I looked at the numbers, like the closer it seemed, but I still think I'd go with the trio. I don't think it's a slam dunk though. Um but it just kind of comes down to the fact that like McDavid's obviously the best player out of the four. There's a very good case that he's the best player in the world, period. But Matthews is is very, very good. And I'm I'm very high on Matthews as being like a top three player in the world. Uh, and I like I, with Line A, he just he strikes me as like one of the few true snipers in the NHL who can actually you know score solely because he has an amazing shot. And then with Eichel, like. I know we kind of shit on him sometimes on this show, but like he is very good. He's he's a point per game player, and while he might be a little overpaid, possibly, like I don't think every team in the league thinks he's overpaid. So if I really decide I didn't like him, I could just trade him for you know two or three players that I do think are very good. So that's kind of why I end up going with the trio. Mm, I hadn't actually considered the whole like global running a hockey team part of this equation like i never thought it never occurred to me that i could trade some of those trio guys (laughs) but um yeah it's it was a it's an interesting question because mcdave i think mcdavid is very much the best player in the world right now i actually got into an argument on twitter today with someone who remains convinced that it's still crosby um and it's not it was but it's not now um but yeah it's hard to pass up three very very good players for one unbelievably great player yeah, think abso- about it a lot. It is hard. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's definitely tough. When I first uh, when I first was asked the question, I said, "Oh, the trio, no doubt." Um, and then a lot of things come into play. Like, okay, is this just you know me putting together an EA Sports team with like all the settings turned off, or am I actually, <laughs> or am I actually like putting the salary cap into into play here? Like, what am I doing? And Charlie, you always talk about the uh, the Blackhawks and how they're a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> how they convince they convince like these good like second line players to play for bottom six money because hey you'll get a chance to win and that's actually like yes but it's only because I'm taking this pay cut that we have that chance like okay Taves and Kane and Keith are cool but we need more than that but I think you have the opportunity to do that with McDavid like hey you get to play alongside the best player in the world uh you're going to have to take like uh you know a 25% reduction in salary to play here i think you could trick people into into coming and playing for you in that blackhawks s ponzi scheme style uh if you have mcdavid so you wouldn't have to pay matthews line a and eichel all three like superstars you only have the one and then you trick other people into paying for below market value that's hmm. my so that's my argument for mcdavid as far as him as the the uh, best player in the world He's definitely got the best toolbox, and he's the most uh, he's the most talented. I'll give him that. But I can't take it away from Crosby until until McDavid rips it away from him, because Crosby is the most successful. He's got the three cups. He's got the MVPs. He scored fifty goals last year. Like I I, I can't take it away from him until like McDavid rips it away from him. I know, but you're you're judging him now based on a team metric. Sidney Crosby has had a team built around him that has helped him win three cups. He's had a competent general manager, a pretty good coach. Um, McDavid's got Peter Shirelli, who I think just pulls names out of a hat and then makes trades. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, and this is like a probably a super hot take, but if McDavid plays his entire career in Edmonton, and Peter Shirelli is the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers for the entire length of that career, there's a very good chance that Connor McDavid will never win a cup. Yeah, that's... And does that make him not the best player? I don't think so. I think he's still the best player in the world. In some people's mind, it would, I I think. I know, and that's like a philosophical thing that I get into with people all the time. Like, Eric Lindros never won a cup. That doesn't detract from Eric Lindros' individual talent as a hockey player it speaks more to the way that his teams were made up than anything. And I think it's the same with McDavid. I, I mostly agree. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, I think stat people in general lean towards the, you know, 
separate individual from from team. I, I do believe though that you know, if you're legitimately the best player in the world, that does give such a boost that in the end, like you do expect eventually you could just luck into a cup basically uh, because you're always making the playoffs. If you're the best player in the world, you're so good. You're regardless of the rest of the roster, you're dragging your team into the, into the playoffs. But you know, you kind of brought up an interesting point about the supporting cast with, with Crosby and McDavid. And what I honestly go back to and why I agree that, that I believe McDavid is the best player right now is, is I go back to the, the coaches and the playing styles of the teams. Like, I think I'm in. I'm maybe. I don't know if this is a consensus thing. Maybe it is now since they've won the last two cups. But like, I think Mike Sullivan is one of the three best coaches in hockey. Might be the absolute best right now. And the reason why I believe that is he's he has his team playing a style that fits their talent perfectly. And Crosby is one of those players that there's the Pittsburgh style, the Sullivan style, which is like attack, 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 fast paced, offensively creative. Like it fits that that team that team's skill set and the players they have on the team perfectly. I don't know if Edmonton plays a style that, like, is truly getting the most out of Connor McDavid. Like, McClellan's not a bad coach, but I think Sullivan's significantly better. And the fact that McDavid is, like, it's it's a toss-up between McDavid and um, and Crosby. I give the edge to McDavid because I think Crosby has a better coach. Like, that was always the argument I made when people to switch sports would make between Brady and Manning. And I was like, okay, I agree. Like, you look at their numbers and their records, like, maybe they're about even. Maybe Brady's a little bit higher because he has more rings. But Brady has Bill Belichick. Peyton Manning is also the head coach of that team. So, like, you're basically – it's basically not Brady versus Manning. It's Brady plus Belichick versus Manning. And I sort of look at it similarly with the Penguins. I mean, and also, if we're comparing, you know – prime time Sidney Crosby to current Connor McDavid I think that there's a more legitimate argument to have there but we're talking about today's Sidney Crosby with today's Connor McDavid and to me it's not a question anymore I mean Sidney Crosby is on the downside of his career that's just a fact and he's still super super good but he just can't do what Connor McDavid does now because he's an older player he's been beat up a lot more yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's been beat up a lot. He he scored fifty goals last year. He won the. He's cup. pretty good. Yeah, like, he's pretty good. I just like in terms of supporting cast. Yes, he has he has Malkin, but look at the players around Crosby that he has made stars throughout his career. I I can't take it away from him. Like I said, McDavid's probably the most talented. Yes, I will. Absolutely, I will absolutely concede that. But it's not Crosby until uh, willing your team to win is part of a sport. And yes, it's a team game, but that's how success, we judge players by success. And McDavid hasn't had it yet, and it's still early. Crosby didn't have it this early in his career. It takes some time. He'll, He'll surpass him absolutely. I just, I'm not ready to say it yet. Well, that's fair. I'll let you have this one. I do, Bill. I do what, like your. Uh, I do like your usage. You know, the by picking McDavid, it's literally you're basically going with the LeBron theory. Like, <laughs> well, we have LeBron, so everybody's going to want to play with LeBron. You're pretty much going yeah. with that with McDavid. Yeah, you can go get Derrick Rose for league minimum because, like, why wouldn't he want to pe- play with LeBron and like D Wade for nothing? Like, <laughs> done deal. Like, that's just that's just how it goes. That's how you put the team together. I want to get back real quick before we move on to what Charlie said about the Penguins because I found it interesting about Mike Sullivan being a great coach. Because I go back to the Bilesma, the Bilesma era with the Penguins. And that team was just so undisciplined. And you could see it when they would play the Flyers. You would look at their rosters and go, why aren't they killing the, the Flyers? And they'd have like 10-minute bursts where they would just have the puck and the Flyers would look so, so lost. But then they'd like somehow like pull them into the fray and get them to do something absolutely dumb. And all of a sudden, Mount Malkin and uh, James Neal would be in the box and the Flyers would score two goals on a five-on-three and it would be a tie game. And then I was like, all right, they're just undisciplined. Maybe Bilesma's a bad coach. And then they hire, and then they hire Mike Johnston. And I was like, all right, the team still has all the exact same problems. Uh, this is just a bad group. There's something to matter in that locker room. And then Sullivan shows up. And all that shit immediately went away. They just 
when the whistle blew, they would skate away and they would do nothing but just skate circles around the other team. So, yeah, I, Mike Sullivan, I think, has been the coach of the year for the last two seasons. Yeah, not to mention, like, what he was able to do with a very depleted defense in the playoffs last yeah. year. Like, a lot – I mean, everyone was saying at the start of the playoffs, well, it's a shame the Penguins are so hurt. There's just absolutely no chance for them to get as far as they did. And they abs- – like, they played, like, some defense by, like, group or something. It was like a – I don't know how they managed to pull it off, but they did, and it, it had a lot to do with coaching, I think. Yeah, Justin Schultz turned out to be a player for them. Like, the return of Jolts never really happened, Charlie. You kept calling for it. <laughs> I know, I was and thinking. He, just... he, he had his moments, but... Oh, yeah, yeah sure. He, he, played, he played well. He's a, he's a pretty good defense. I think the thing with the Penguins under Sullivan, too, is that, like, they give their forwards so much attacking responsibilities. Yeah. Like, if you watch them play, like, it's so hard... When the Penguins are on, it's so hard to execute... Because their forwards are on you in all three zones so quickly. Like, not just on the forecheck. Like, in the neutral zone, they go right at you. When it's in the defensive zone, they don't sit back in a shell. Like, they just attack the guys on the half boards, attack the guys down low. Like, you don't have time to make decisions. And one of the reasons why they sometimes can get blown out is because if a team is executing super well, and they can pass really well. You know, these guys are all out of position because they're being super aggressive. But one thing you learn, and I think any hockey fan who pays attention to, like, power plays knows this, is, you know, the best penalty kills are the ones that go right at power plays. Even though there's one man up, like, the best penalty kills say basically fuck it. Like, yeah, you might beat us sometimes, but we're going to force turnovers more than you're going to score, so we're just going to attack. And the Penguins basically play an aggressive penalty kill at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, that's just their defensive style. And I think that helps them to kind of shield their defense a little bit because a lot of times their defense doesn't even have to do anything. The forwards are getting the puck back. Yeah, in a sport that's all about time and space, I can't believe, that, just talking about penalty kill in general, the amount of time and space some teams give power plays. Like, uh, you saw it for years when the Flyers' power play was really clicking uh, a couple of years ago uh, when they made the playoffs against uh, against the Rangers. And the Rangers were a good defensive team, and all they did was pressure Giroux. They just put a guy on top of him. They didn't let him, you know, sit there and do his point guard thing and distribute. They're just like, no, we're pressuring everybody. And they never got set up and really never, like, got the offense going. And that's just something, that's the way the Penguins play all the time, and that's why they win. And, yeah, when they can, they can be susceptible to the occasional blowout, but, you know... Two cups in a row. I think, I think it's. Uh, I think it's the sample size is big enough that it works on a nightly basis. All right. Yeah. I want to move on to this next thing, Kelly. You say you want to talk about uh, the Toronto media and the coverage of Austin Matthews and the team in general. You're seeing a lot of a lot of crazy stuff on your timeline. What's going on? Yeah. So <clears throat> thought I'd bring this up on behalf of our dearly departed Steph Driver, who loves the Leafs as much as I do. R.I.P. But- Steph. Over the last couple of weeks, I would say, there. I mean, obviously we all follow a lot of hockey people on Twitter. A lot of those hockey people are Canadian. So sometimes this stuff kind of bleeds into your timeline a bit. And there seems to be a lot of um, sort of frustration and anger generated at the national media in Canada because they cover Austin Matthews and the Leafs so much. And I found all of it kind of surprising because, first of all, I always assumed that the Leafs were getting the most coverage anyway because they're the Leafs. Yeah. And I mean, Toronto's the fourth biggest city in North America, and that's the most popular sports team in that city. So, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me. Like, obviously, ESPN's going to cover the Yankees. Makes, I mean, it's just going to happen. So, um, but it seems like people are, are just, like, pissy that there's not any stories on McDavid. There's not any stories on Eric Carlson. There's not any stories. There's a cat in front of me. There's not any stories about, you know, what's going on in Montreal. But it's like... I, I just I found it confusing, and I thought I'd see what you guys thought about that. Um, and then there was also an interesting story that I read um, when I was putting together flyby stuff about how Austin Matthews is not a superstar in the states, given that he's an American kid <clears throat> with a really interesting story who is absolutely lighting up the NHL. Um, you'd think he'd be getting some traction here, but he doesn't really seem to be. So, just some interesting stuff that I've noticed that I thought I'd maybe see what you guys thought. Well, you know what? You know what would get him traction in the states? If he if, played for an American team? Yeah. Well, no, no, I wasn't even going to say that. But technically, an American team. <laughs> you know, I I heard that in the next few months, 
there's an international tournament where players of a, of, a, of each country, they represent their country on national television and casual fans tend to watch it. You know, it would be it would be interesting if, if Austin Matthews got to put on the Team USA jersey in front of massive audiences to introduce himself to the U.S. audience. It, it would be really cool if he had that opportunity, don't you think? That sounds like Are a you- really great idea. You should maybe bring that up um, at one of your next meeting of NHL insiders because I think it's a great idea. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> in terms of a superstar in the States, like, what hockey player is a superstar? Like, Henrik, yeah. Henrik Lundqvist is in some ESPN commercials, and I can't really think of any other hockey player who does anything, like, well, in terms of, like, exposure here. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a super long time since there's been an American-born player as good as this kid, so, I don't know, maybe that's something. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, think of the, to get to Charlie's point, think of the exposure TJ Oshie got from the Olympics a couple yeah. of years ago. Like, Oshie's a nice player and all, but imagine if it was a legitimate superstar like uh, like Austin Matthews. He's tied for third in the league in goals right now. His ten points are the same as Ovechkin, Patrick Kane, Johnny Goudreau, Jake Voracek, and Ghost. Like, that's a pretty good list. Uh, you'd think you'd want to expose, like, you know, a 20-year-old kid um, with that kind of talent playing for basically Canada's national team. That's the thing about the the coverage of the Maple Leafs is, yeah, there probably should be more coverage of McDavid. There probably should be more coverage of Carlson. That's a nice cat you got there, Kelly. I know. Um, Jesus Christ. He's just <laughs> There probably should be more coverage of those guys. But I've always thought of the Maple Leafs as kind of the Canadian national team. Like, their logo is the flag. Yeah, and, oh, God, I, I really didn't intend for this to get turned into the Olympics, but I'm so worked up about oh, this yeah. now. Like, can, I, I'm so pissed that we're not going to get a McDavid-Matthews matchup. Like, it, like, I think about it, and I get so mad. Do you know how good that would have been? And it would have been the gold medal game for sure. I'm so mad about it. God damn it. I just think it's such a missed opportunity. Like, and it just... I, I didn't mean to bring it to the Olympics either, but you you bring no, up okay. like yeah like why why isn't Matthews why doesn't Matthews have a higher profile in the U.S. and I think the fact that he plays for the Maple Leafs definitely definitely helps you know the fact that he's not playing for a major American market that that builds him that that gets in that foothold but like if he scores big goals in the Olympics when everyone in the U.S. is watching hockey for once like that's how you build a profile and the yeah. the, the NHL is missing that opportunity to market Austin Matthews as an American athlete to pay attention to. And it's frustrating. Um, to kind of change gears, I guess not change gears, but go back to the Leafs thing. Like, you mentioned that you, know, you always kind of view, or Bill, Bill always kind of viewed, like, the Leafs as Canada's team in a way. And, like, I think that just kind of hits the nail right on the head as to why there's a backlash. Because, like... It's sort of equivalent to why do all American fans hate the Yankees? Why do all American fans hate the Cowboys? Because both those teams position themselves as America's team, America's baseball team, America's football team, and and everybody who doesn't root for them is like, this is bullshit. Like, yeah. no, you're not you're not America's yeah. team. Like, like maybe we're not America's team, but you guys sure as hell aren't. Like, there yeah. is no America's team. Like, it's just whoever you root for. Every Habs fan and every Senators fan and every Oilers fan probably seriously hates Toronto. That's my yeah. guess. Like, I guess I guess the the Habs are like you know French Canada's team, but uh, Toronto just seems to like loom over all those other teams. Like, you f- I forget the Senators are a Canadian team sometimes. I'm like, no one ever, no one ever talks about them. And when you talk the about the country, <laughs> when you talk about legitimate superstars, like Eric Carlson is as good as friggin' anybody. Yeah. Yeah, like I get, I and I guess this is where the disconnect is between like me and then Kelly and Steph. Like, I totally understand why people get frustrated by the the Toronto obsession, even though I'm not Canadian, because it is like. I mean, I, I've I've heard I've heard athletic writers basically say like when they do a national column, they're the first response they get is, "Well, how does this impact the Leafs?" And it's like, well, I mean, I guess everything sort of does, but like they are their fans are very centric to themselves. Like 
how does this impact our team? It's not like, how does this impact the league? It's like, well, the Leafs only are the only team that matters. And Yankees fans have a lot have that same sort of view as like, yeah. we're the most important. And it rubs people the wrong way, especially if you kind of have an inferiority complex because the Leafs tower over everyone. Well, I'm from Philly, so I definitely don't have an inferiority complex. <laughs> <laughs> New York can absolutely go fuck itself, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, but that's... and. That's I always like if I just think of the way Philly covers like Wentz or Embiid like Austin Matthews is going to get that kind of coverage because he's their team like those are the I that's just the way I look at it but yeah it's it's probably bullshit for everyone else but I look at the Leafs as just another team but they look at themselves as we are the sun and the 30 other teams revolve around us <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not wrong. All right, so I want to talk about uh, Nikita Kucherov now. Oh, he's kind of good. We talked about Ovechkin's goal-scoring ceiling last week, uh, but not to be outdone, Kucherov has eight goals in uh, in eight games. Last night was his first night without a goal. Uh, I want to know if you think he can get to 50 and 50, because I would love that. 50 goals in 50 games? Yeah. What? No. Why not? Maybe. Someone's got to someone's got to do it again. These things have happened before. They have to happen again. It's got to be someone eventually. Why not this time? Yeah, but Bill, actually, but- someone someone brought Cooch into the uh, best player in the world argument that went on in my timeline today, which I thought was like, eh, maybe, maybe not. He plays no. in Tampa, really so no way. I mean, he's super he's super good. I love Kucherov, but no, he's. I think the, I think the only guy who you can maybe bring into that argument that doesn't cross your McDavid is Carlson. But I mean, Kucherov's Kucherov's on that second tier, no doubt. And you know, Bill, you say like, well, it's happened before. Like, well, yeah, it happened in the '80s when no one played defenses, and if you've ever watched goalies from that era, like they were awful. So, like, like, there's a reason why it happened back then when defense was optional and goaltenders played stand-up, which, I, said, like, I, I don't think there's anything more different in the sport of hockey than, like, you watching in the 70s or 80s game and watching a goalie try to play. Like, it's, uh, the, it's just changed so much. Goalie style is unbelievably different now, but you talk about defense being optional. Have you seen the way the league is being officiated right now? Defense is oh, illegal! Boy. Defense is illegal! I have to say, at first I was super on board with them calling slashing really tight because I find slashing super annoying. Uh, but even that's getting annoying at this point. Because they're calling a lot of stuff that's not really a slash. I have a real issue. The league is so, um, like, okay, we're going to crack down on this. And rather than we're going to apply common sense to it, they don't want to give like, any sort of subjectivity to the rule, so they just say, yep, you gotta call everything. Like, that interference call on Wayne Simmons, not to just talk about the Flyers on the NHL show, but Wayne Simmons got called for interference for lifting a guy's stick last night. Yeah, that was a... That has never, ever been a penalty. No. No, and when I heard them say interference, I was like, wait, like, of all the things you're gonna call that, you're calling it interference? Like, how in the world... Yeah, that was a really weird I think there needs to be, and it just gets back to the stick-on-stick stuff. Like, on the pants or on the hands, I have no problem with calling every slash. As long as they call it both ways, I'm cool with it. But I I think you need to have some sort of, like, chop definition added to it. Like, a check on the stick is not a slash. It's just a stick-on-stick check. A lift, a lift or a tie-up is not a slash. It's a lift or a tie-up. I Like, if you come down on it like a tomahawk, yeah, okay. But if it's low on the blade and it's not a chop, I ha- I don't understand why that's not just called stick-checking. Yeah, yeah, and- see, yeah, I'm just like, I, I think there needs to be a distinction between calls that were made because of the new emphasis and calls that are just bad. Are just bad, like, like, yeah. Yeah, like, 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 the Simmons call was, I agree, it was stupid, because, like, at some point, you, if you're an opposing player, you gotta just hold on to your freaking stick, but, like... He pretty much threw it up into the air. Yeah, like, like at some point, absurd. at some point, there has to be some degree of rationality here, but, like, was that because there was an emphasis on that, or is that just because the ref got fooled because the player sold the play that probably shouldn't have been a penalty? Like, I think it's more the latter, and, like, as for the slashing calls, I get it. Like, I get the frustration, but... 
at the same time, like, this is the only way you're going to be able to break the habit from players. Like, if you want players to do less slashing on the hands and you want superstars to have a little bit more, uh, you know, not flexibility, but just a little bit more space to create without having to worry about getting chopped. Like, the only way you're going to de-incentivize people from, from doing that is to call everything at this point. So... You know, it might kind of suck now, and it's. Just, I feel to me, it's more of like an annoyance than something that's like really detracting from my love of the game. But this is sort of how it has to be, and I think if they continue doing it by the end of the year, people are going to be slashing on the hands less and less because they're essentially going to get hardwired not to do it as a default mechanism. And if that's the case, I think the game will be better. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, and it did get so far. That like you know every single every single time a guy carried the puck he got slashed like Mark Mathot lost a friggin' finger Johnny Goudreau won it like you don't need superstars missing time Johnny Goudreau missed like a bunch of games because he got slashed twenty six times one game uh, so uh, I get I get the point I just wish there was a less broad definition of slash but if they're gonna call it evenly both ways i have no problem with it it probably is the best way to break these habits the game did get kind of just it got away from the clutching and grabbing and got more into yeah you're just allowed to slash now which is like all right i don't want to watch this kind of hockey either if you're gonna open it up open it up yeah it's kind of a, a tough line i think because while you don't want to deal with stoppages every five seconds, you also don't want Claude Giroux to have wrist surgery every year. So, yeah, like Charlie said, it is kind of like you just kind of have to deal with this adjustment period and hope that at some point it evens out. That's the hope. All right. Uh, Charlie, Have has there been anything going on at the Nerd Conference? Have you been to, like, any sort of, uh, any sort of events yet? When does it actually start? Yeah, so I went to the Eat at Wendy's event, and then oh. I went to and then I went to the uh, Go to Speedway and Buy Beer event. No, there's been no events. I literally sounds wild. It's it's, it's pretty wild. Um, no, the, the, <laughs> literally uh, myself and, and the Mita uh, drove up to the uh, drove up to Rochester this morning. Got in around three, and since then I've just been settling in, and now we're recording a show. So I think tonight we're all like going to hang out at a bar and talk about hockey, and then. Like, I think the Cocktail Conference lasts from, like, 9 a.m. to, like, 3-something tomorrow. And it'll be fun. I heard that there's going to be a hot takeoff tonight, and I need you to record the best hot takes for posterity's sake. Oh, actually, that, that reminds me. Bill, as, sure. our resident, as our resident hot takist, like, you gotta give me some tips here. How, how do I come up with a good hot take? Uh, for, you do one of two things. You either just say the first ridiculous thing that comes into your mind. Like, like me today on Twitter, people were talking about crazy rule changes that get proposed at these events. That's what I wanted to ask you about if you've had, if you've heard any uh, crazy rule change suggestions. Like last year, actually last year I was talked into uh, via the nerds who attend this conference, uh, ending offside. I want offside to go away, and we'll get to offside in just a second because something ridiculous happened in the Avalanche Blues games oh, last boy. night. But. Uh, uh, I, uh, so you either just say the first ridiculous thing that comes to your mind, like today I said, I think the glass should be 30 feet high all around the, all around the boards, and it should all be in play, and it should basically be like bubble hockey without a dome, like, and <laughs> just keep the game moving, and, uh, and this started with, um, with Mika tweeting he wasn't going to be able to make this conference, but he wanted to get the, uh, the hot takes started, and he said goalies should be penalized for freezing the puck. Yeah, like it's funny because um, when I when Micah, I heard that, what's his name? Micah. 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 But like when I heard that, my first reaction was, "Hey, that actually sounds like a really good me. idea." And then the more you thought about it, you're like, "Well, it, I like the idea in theory, but there seems like a lot of like issues that would come about by making that hard line." But I, there's there's something to this because I do agree that in situations where the goalie has a choice to cover the puck or not like i'd like them to do that less however there are also situations where there's just a scrum and like the the refs lose sight of the puck and like what are they supposed to do just let people get the shit kicked out of them out front like i don't know i i, I do think that maybe there could be a way to de-incentivize you know goalies 
covering the puck, but I don't know if outruling <laughs> out it entirely is a good idea or outlawing it entirely is a good idea. No, I don't like that idea at all. So. Yeah, that's I was watching the replay of a game today and I read that tweet and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? That might not be a bad idea. And then at like right as I think this, I look up and like a goalie makes a save and it kind of just hits him right in the bread basket and he's got it pinned against him and there's you know three forwards directly in front of him. It's like yeah. He can't play that puck. It's a goal. Yeah. Like, What's he supposed to do? Yeah. Just throw it to him? Like, he's got to cover it sometimes. That would be fun if maybe uh, maybe instead of a blocker, they had like a high stick and they were able to just wing it down the ice. I think that would be pretty they awesome. They can throw the puck like soccer goal. Yeah, that would be really cool. <laughs> maybe some kind of rule like that. It's the only way it would work because you would have to be able to get it far away from the net. Yeah, just... Well, I guess... I- I, I guess theoretically, maybe the way you could get around it is to basically say that, like, the goalie can only hold the puck for a certain amount of time. I don't. It's it's hard because I wouldn't mind like the idea of the goalie covers the puck and then everybody realizes they can't touch the goalie, so they back off and then the goalie then waits till they leave and then passes the puck to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, like I wouldn't mind. There, there there's something here. Yeah. I just don't know if it's feasible to take advantage of it without like the rules being totally taken advantage of by all the players you know what i mean yeah Yeah. and getting back to the slashing thing where this league they don't like to leave room for subjectivity so it's always all or nothing like Like, i just i just think back to like you know when you play street hockey like you know you you're playing street hockey the guy playing goalie stops the puck it's not like you do a face-off like everybody just kind of like leaves the goalie alone for a minute and the goalie passes the big toss the puck to the corner and you guys keep playing because you want to keep playing you don't want there to be like stupid stoppages and i don't know i mean there's something to adding something like that to the nhl i just don't know it's actually not a terrible idea like everyone's gonna back up to the face-off dot or something i don't know could be something. Maybe. There's got to because the thing that makes hockey great is the continuous play. The fact that play could legitimately go on for 20 consecutive minutes uh, if nobody broke any rules. Basically, uh, you could go for 20 minutes if you wanted to, and just the emotion that comes out of that, the momentum swings, all that stuff is what makes hockey great. The fewer stoppages, the better. Um, but I just don't know. I don't know a way to possibly like actually enforce it. Yeah, it'd be tough, for sure. All right, I want to get to this uh, this Blues-Avalanche game last night. Oh my god, this is such a mess. We got, we got a couple new wrinkles to the offside challenge. One, I guess, uh, a lot of people just didn't pick up on when they changed the uh, offside challenges this year, the way they're applied. You don't need a timeout uh, to call one, to call for one. If you get an offside challenge incorrect, if you ask for a challenge of an offside and uh, the call on the ice stands, you're assessed a penalty. Flyers fans learned that firsthand in the first Nashville game. Um, but you can call for as many offside challenges as you want if you're willing to you know, risk going shorthanded. Uh, what we also found out, however, is not the refs don't know all the rules. Uh, so last... Which seems- problematic maybe i don't know uh last night the uh the avalanche went offside um the referee the linesman got bumped on the play and missed it the avs brought the puck back out basically touched up like made the play clean went back in and scored and the blues challenged this said the initial entry was offside while there was an offside you are not allowed to challenge a play if it has been, uh, if the puck has been brought back out of the zone and then been brought back cleanly, which is what happened. However, um, that little tidbit of the rules was not applied in this situation, and the goal was taken away, and the Blues win. I believe the final score was four to three. Yeah. How does is, this um, shit happen? <laughs> this is kind of a huge problem, and I feel like the biggest problem here is that that little wrinkle that you referred to is not new. Like, that's always how it worked. If you tag up or if you take the puck out again and then come back in clean, you're not offside because you were offside before. That doesn't make any sense. And the fact that... So this isn't even, like, a new addition that they had to learn over the summer. This is some old shit that they apparently just forgot. Or, I don't know, but it was a big mess. And they've admitted 
Yeah, the NHL actually like Whoops. put out like a statement admitting the error, which is uh, mind-boggling when you really think about it. Like, oh yeah, gross yeah. incompetence on our part. Sorry. Sorry, fam. We'll get it right next time, maybe. Probably not, though. It's funny. This kind of goes back to why, because like I was more accepting of the Dave Hackstall challenging in the Nashville game than I think most people were. Like, I still disagree with it because I didn't think it was a good like. I think it was the video coach's fault more than Hacksaw's fault. But, like, one of the arguments I made against challenging in that situation was that, like, the refs and the video room screw these calls up a lot. So even if you're right, they may not rule in your favor. So, like, you have to account for that in your certainty, like, equation that you're making in your head when you're thinking about challenging. Like, if you're 80% sure that you're right... You probably have to lop like 10% off of that because there's a 10% chance that the NHL just, even if you're right, that the NHL just won't agree that you're right. No, that's and then like. We'll, then we'll later be like, ah, sorry, we messed up. Yeah, no, in fo- I've never seen, like, at least in football, they get the call on the field wrong all the time, but then they go back, and if there is, like, a good look at it, gets overturned. I- I've never, like, I've seen so many of these offside reviews where I'm like, yeah, there's not enough to change that. And they're like, no overturned or i'm like oh that's clearly offside and they're like yeah no no it's a that's a goal stands like what like i've never seen such a discrepancy in the application if the idea is to get it right i feel like they don't all that often no i think you're absolutely right and it's i know there's like a weird thing where like us watching the game we don't get the the head-on blue line shot that kind of makes it easy to see if it's off or not um so that kind of often makes it difficult for fans, which is annoying. But then, like, I mean, if you think about it, so what happens, I mean, this is probably unlikely, but what happens if, like, the Avs miss the playoffs by one point? Like, you, well, you took the suck. point from them. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just like, I mean, at what then what? It's kind of like a Mickey Mouse thing. It's like, this is a professional sports league. Like, we have the technology. You can get these things correct without that much extra work. It's it's crazy. Uh, I guess the last thing I want to get to tonight is the uh, the happy-to-see-you situation. Uh, has the, has it been resolved? Andreas Anthonacia, what's going on with that, Kelly? You told me, like, right as I joined the Google Hangout. Uh, yeah, last I the last I saw, um, Friedman was reporting one year. I think he said 1.35 but it hadn't been officially finalized yet because of um, Detroit's roster situation, but that's reportedly what is going to be happening there. Yeah, so uh, the uh, Andreas Anthonisiu had been holding out. Uh, he's a restricted free agent. He didn't like the deal he was being offered, and he had to get a deal done by December 1st uh, to be NHL eligible this year. His agent had, be th- had been threatening to go back to Europe because they couldn't get the deal they wanted, and then as the season began, uh, the, the Wings were in basically a roster situation that wouldn't allow for the uh, for the deal that Anthony CU wanted so but it looks like they uh, it looks like they got it worked out there was a rumor last week that the Red Wings were um, in Philly I believe scouting Travis Konechny and like I didn't I didn't think there was actually much to that I don't believe the Flyers are in a position to trade Travis Konechny but uh, could they have been looking to swap young players like I feel like this played a role in that like okay this is a guy we can't get signed let's look for a a good young comparable and a, a, a guy like Konechny maybe not Konechny specifically but like a guy like Konechny could have been that good young comparable yeah I'm sure they were considering it you gotta consider all options when you're in a, a contract standoff but in the end like this was always the inevitable outcome right like unless that unless unless Athanaseo was willing to leave and go to Europe which other players have done before so it wasn't out of complete and totally out of precedent there was it was highly unlikely Detroit was just going to up and trade him because like what leverage did they have like when when, when a guy's refusing to play for you like you're not going to get full value back so like maybe if if Athanaseo like is signed and plays 40 games and then Detroit comes back to the Flyers and like so what about that connect me for Athanasio deal like then maybe there's something there but why would the Flyers sell one of their best young forwards for a guy who's in a contract dispute like so I don't I'm just thinking um Charlie you probably know the answer to this if Athanasio had decided to not sign with Detroit and play in Europe um how long would Detroit have retained his rights 
if he ever decided to come back. I'd have to go through and see like his age versus the amount of time he spent, okay. but it would be a while. Like, a time, uh, yeah. yeah, it would be a fair amount because I think like uh, like Saboka, he went to the 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 KHL, I believe, uh, from from St. Louis, and then he came back, and mm-hmm. St. Louis still held his rights. Like, you still hold the players' rights. I think generally speaking, until they're like around twenty six, and it, oh, okay. it and it varies depending upon. Um, you know, depending upon certain things like what league they were drafted from and um, you know how many games they've played in the NHL, things like that. But yeah, you you keep a guy's rights for a decent amount of time. I think like with Russian players, like if you drafted them, you keep them for a really long time. Especially if they, but that's like if they don't come over at all. I think once they come over once, they kind of fall under the NHL rules. But mm-hmm. yeah, like if if he would have left, they would have kept his rights. So. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's all kinds of weird rules, so I'd have to delve into this particular thing. But yeah, he could have left a year and then come back, and he still would have been an RFA with with Detroit. So I guess like the player doesn't have much leverage then either. I mean, a one year, one point three million dollar contract is not a super great deal if you're a player. I'm assuming. No, it's a shitty. Um, it's a shitty offer, and yeah, he so was just stuck. No one like, really wins. Yeah, I mean, he's probably in a situation where if he's ticked off, you know, maybe he we go through the same thing next year because it's just one year. You know, yeah. there's a, there's a good chance the next offseason because he'll still be a restricted free agent, still won't be able to go to UFA if they're having the same battle. You know, June or July thirtieth or whatever. Maybe we go through this game again. And that's how guys eventually get traded. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to check his uh, arbitration eligibility. Where is he? Uh, okay, so they don't even have him signed yet, but he wasn't arbitration eligible this year. Uh, I assume next year he would be. I'm not always positive how that works out, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, hockey is weird with the with the restricted free agency rules and just all the uh, yeah all the restrictions put on young guys and it does like we were talking last week about the Eichel contract. While I guess you want to get the McDavid's and the Eichels and your young guys signed. I mean, you can get them super cheap for a lot of their prime years. That's that's kind of the trade-off, is guys get paid later on when they might be out of their statistical prime. But uh, it's a lot like baseball. Like Until you hit UFA, the team has all the leverage. Yeah. And that, that's starting to shift a little bit, I think, just because like guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl are getting paid more right off of their entry level contracts. Like if you remember, like Giroux took a bridge deal and the Flyers yeah. had him on a mass massive bargain. Those kind of deals for guys with game breaking talent, they they seem to be coming around less and less. So the players are gaining some additional leverage, but it's still you know, on their side, like being RFA eligible definitely hurts their bargaining power, which sucks for them because these are the years where they're gonna be the most productive. And I think um in terms of, I think GMs are more willing to pay young guys now because they're less willing to pay older guys. And just in terms of cap space, if you're like, well, you know, we're get, we have this kind of, I mean, the Flyers will pay up to the cap always. But when you look around and say, okay, we have X amount of dollars to spend, we're not going to give it to a, we're not going to give a 28 year old a six year deal. We will give an eight year deal to a 22 year old because we will get their entire prime. So, I, like, I think GMs just getting smarter. In how they spend their other money allows for younger players to make more than, you know, maybe they have the leverage to get. Which I think improves the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, paying these young guys instead of paying a bunch of, you know, Andrew McDonald's to hang around your roster is good for all of us. Leadership, though. You need that. You need that veteran leadership. Uh, One last thing before we wrap it up here, guys. New Jersey and Vegas. When do we start in the world? When do we start to take them seriously? Do we already? Never. <laughs> the, the the desert nights and the devils. Like, what do we got going on here? Or the sand the sand nights? Excuse me. They're the sand nights. I, if that ends up being their name, I'm I'm hoping that they get fired into the sun because that's <laughs> terrible. Then they'll be the sun um, nights. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think with either one of these teams, like. If they're still pulling this off in December, maybe we have to start thinking they might be a real thing. But much like Charles O'Connor, I am not a devil's believer in any way, shape, or form at this point. No way. Yeah, I 
I I'm a little I think I'm a little bit more of a Devils believer than a Vegas believer, but I'm Charlie. but I'm also not a not a Devils believer. Either. Okay. <laughs> um, I just, uh, the I Devils. Yeah, I think with Vegas, like I think they're just kind of riding the high of being a new team, and they're gonna come crashing back to earth shortly, especially now that Flurry's injured. But... Intangibles, baby, they're getting it done with Malcolm Subban. They're rallying around each other, and the fact that nobody had any expectations for them—it's all about the intangibles, Charlie. You can't quantify it. Are you writing a screenplay about this team already? Oh, it's <laughs> when we're out there in February. It's a Stanley Cup preview. I'm telling you. Oh God. <laughs> I'm really just trying to get a job out there. I'm going to leave you guys to just hang out in Vegas. Just yelling oh, yelling about the Golden Knights. That's going to be my thing. I mean, it's a pretty cool place you, to live. The mustache would fit in there. Good point. <laughs> Think about the action I could get at the Bunny Ranch with this mustache. They'd be all over that shit. Literally. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that is all the time we have for you on... Uh, what the hell did I say I was going to call this? The, the Ice Sport Show. The Ice Sport. Ice Sport. The Ice Sport Show. The Ice Sport Show. Ice Sport Radio. Ice Sport... What's our company name? Ice Sport Enterprises? Ice Sport Enterprises, yeah. That is awesome. Uh, all right. Patent pending. Before we, before we wrap up, i got to remind you about Draft.com. Go to Draft.com. Use promo code BSHRADIO, and uh, you, will have, uh, you will have the ability to play daily fantasy football, hockey, baseball, all sorts of fun stuff going on over at Draft.com. Check out Draft.com. Thank you for joining me, guys. Uh, have a great Friday. My name is Bill Matz. See you later, everybody. And stop. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even... Stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.